This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. I launched straight into it today. Over the past couple of weeks, we studied in um, our house groups, the armour of God. And it really got me thinking and pondering and wondering, do we really, really understand what the armour of God is for? Do we really know what it's all about? Because we can go through it in all these, you know, the helmet and the breastplate and the shield of faith and all that. And you can know perfectly what that all means. But when I'm in a situation, do I know how that armour of God is meant to look? And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I just sometimes feel that when we get ourselves into when the circumstances occur, we have no idea what this armor is meant to be looking like when it's on us. All right? And I really feel that. Because I think, you know, we get attacked, we get huge attacks, and we get small skirmishes in our lives. And how we behave determines how we respond determines what we know of the armour. That's the way I'm thinking. So let me read, first of all, the armour of God. And I'm going to read it in the message, because it's very different. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest, that we'll walk away from and forget about it in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life-or-death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. So be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth. Righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. That's what the armour of God is all about, is to help you stand in the face of attack. It is a defence, it's our defensive weapons. We are to be standing, not fighting. Right? We're not fighting for victory, we're standing in a place of victory. The battle's been won. And the weapons we have, that armour that we use, is to stand. So that when everything's done, when the devil throws everything at us, we're still standing strong. And you're going to need a strong core to do that. That's where your faith comes in. And all these things that we're talking about. Do you know what? You can't stand if you've got a bad back. You need to be spiritually healthy to be able to stand I've discovered a cancer. If you've got a barback, you can't stand for a long time. 
You're going to fall. I know you. Orthotic insoles. They've helped enormously. But there we go. Sometimes you need an orthotic insole in order to make us to stand in the face of everything that Satan would throw at us. And even that's not enough. Because what you have to be, and this is what James says, um, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. You can do anything you like. But if you are not submitted to God, you cannot resist the devil. Right? So you have, first of all, to submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So, that's all well and good, saying all that. But what does it actually look like? What are we actually doing with it? So I want to read from, I've got two kings from the Old Testament. One is Hezekiah, and one is Jehoshaphat. And the threat to them both are slightly different, but their response is the same. So we're going to start with Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you'll find him in um, 2 Kings 19. So the first one is, John 10.10 10 tells us this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the thief wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. That's the whole aim of the devil. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. And he wants to destroy you. And that's not very pleasant for a Sunday morning. But that's what you live in every day of your life. You have an enemy. And very often, at his first attack, we lie down. We give it all up to him. So learn how to stand. So Hezekiah, 19. Um, 10 to, um, and it's verse 10 to 19. The attack against Hezekiah is enormous, absolutely enormous. And sometimes the threats that come to us are very, very serious. Say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, this is Sennacherib. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And here's what he tells Hezekiah, I'm going to attack you. So go say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, don't let the God you depend on deceive you. When he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria, surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Resaf, and the people of Eden, who were in Tel Azar? Never heard of those of you. Right. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Appa, the king of the city of wherever, or of Hindar, or these other places? You know, where are the Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. 
Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hands that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O God, O Lord, are God. The threat was enormous. Assyria was a killing machine. It rode roughshod over all the nations that it attacked. It had never been defeated. And the attack to Hezekiah was, don't think God can get you out of this. Don't you believe God? Don't you trust in God? Don't you have faith in your God? Because nothing can stand against me. And that is a threat. That's a serious threat. He had every reason to be scared, Sniff. The Assyrians, when Jonah was sent to Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So poor Jonah was sent, somebody's likened it, to send a Jew to preach to the Nazis. That's how bad the Assyrians were. And when Jonah, Jonah didn't want them saved. Jonah went to them punished. They were terrible people, awful people. And when you look around the world and you see what's happening, sometimes you think they deserve to be punished. God says they deserve to be saved. It's a totally way of looking at it, isn't it? So, so this is the attack that's coming against Hezekiah. And don't we sometimes get attacks that scare the life out of us? And the enemy says, don't you dare think God's going to relieve you of this. Don't you dare think that illness is going to be cured. Don't you dare think that financial situation is going to get better. Don't you dare think that relationship will ever be revived. Don't you dare think God is going to do anything for you. Because I'm more powerful and nothing can stand against me. I know somebody this week who's had a letter saying that very thing. The spirit behind the letter said, don't you dare think you can win. I've always won and I'm going to win again. That was the spirit that was behind the letter. And Hezekiah's response was to spread the letter out before the Lord and say, now look what they're saying. You're not meant to fight. We're not meant to fight. We're meant to stand. And we're meant to say, my God can do it. And you know what? There's a wonderful phrase that Carrie said that uh, they're using a life church, which is, and today we go again. And we go again, and we go again. And no matter how times the devil says, you'll never do it, we say we'll go again. Doesn't matter how many said, that relationship will never come to anything. We go again, we go again, we keep on going because we're standing on God's word. Isaiah comes to him later on. The next passage is Isaiah coming and saying, no, Sennacherib, don't worry about him. He's going to go back. He's going to have a message telling him to leave. And he leaves. This is what God does. God has got your back. God wants you to trust him. To trust him when the attack comes. And it's a serious attack. When those things in our life comes that we sometimes feel, I can't take it any longer. That's when the devil is saying, don't trust God. Don't believe anything he's saying. He can't get you out of this situation. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And we go again. We go again. And we go again. And we keep on going because we're keeping on standing. Because that's what the armour does for us. It allows us to defend. You need defence. I don't do many sports. 
I'm sure you can tell I don't do many sports. But I know you need defence as well as attack. Because if you haven't got defence, you're going to let everybody run into the goal and everybody score a try. All right? So we're to defend and stand our ground. Stand your ground and keep going again. That's Hezekiah. To Jehoshaphat, it was a slightly different attack. We'll read this in 2 Chronicles 20. And I think Jehoshaphat's probably much more well-known than that story of Hezekiah. Let me tell you one thing about Hezekiah, though, before I move on. It's a little aside. The next chapter is Hezekiah's illness. And I love this. I read this many, many years ago. Hezekiah became ill, and God told him, you're going to die, Hezekiah. Hezekiah says, no, I'm not. I'm not willing to die yet. No, I'm not going to die. So he turns his face to the wall. This is how scripture and refuses to die. Well, I think that's wonderful. So that's what I'm going to do when the time comes. I'm going to turn my face to the wall and I'm going to refuse to die. And he refuses to die. And God says, All right, Hezekiah, I'll add ten more years to your life. Because Hezekiah didn't have children. He didn't have sons, rather. And it was a shame for the king not to have a son. So in his 10 years, he had three sons. Now, you think God has blessed him. But Hezekiah had brought in revival to the, to the country. They were the worst kings Israel had ever had. Manasseh was one of them. And they took the country back into idolatry. And I read a lovely note in this. It said, sometimes God will answer your requests, but it will bring leanness to your soul. So sometimes he gives us exactly what we want, and it's not a blessing. No, don't want what you want. Want what God wants for you. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I want what God wants for me, because I don't actually know that what I want for myself is any good. So that's just an aside. Back to Jehoshaphat. Right. I'm going to read. This is a whole chapter, but I need to read it. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites were some of the Moonites. Dear me, there's some words in Bible in there. I look at God and Bennett. Came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of the Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out. Go on, Lee, because I don't think this is 
Can you go on for me? We need not judge them. We have power to face this vast enemy that is attacking. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, God. Right. Go on. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came to Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah. Oh dear, never mind with those names. As he stood in the assembly. Dear me. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving doers forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mansiah, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place and overlooked the desert and looked towards the vast time, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. What a fabulous story. I know a song about that, and it would have been much quicker if I'd have sung the song. <laughs> I don't think you'd have liked it. Yeah. It's a brilliant little song. It says it all. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, but no, I won't sing it. Right. The attack on Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is rich. This attack is very different. They'd come to steal. It says somewhere they'd come to rob him. This is a different attack. Satan wants to rob you. We, it says in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 verse 3, that I and you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know how rich you are in Christ? Do you understand what he's given you in Christ? That we can say we are rich, totally and absolutely blessed, joint heirs with Christ. Everything in heaven is ours. Now, I can't get my head around it to explain it any more than that. But I know that we've got everything we need, according to Peter, to live a life of godliness. We've been given gifts. Every one of us has been given a certain gift, a special gift. 
We got fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit has put in us. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All of those, the nine fruits. We're forgiven our sins. Right? We live in his presence. He's given us his Spirit. He's given us everything we need. And what the enemy wants to do is steal all that from you. He wants to take all that away. And the everyday skirmishes we find ourselves in is simply to rob you of all of those wonderful things. Now, you're going to hear a little story. How does this look in the everyday life we live? In our walking, sleeping, eating our food, going to work, Coming to church life. What does it really look like? What does an everyday skirmish with the devil really look like? So you're going to hear a story about small potatoes. And it's not my story. It's not mine. It's Gail's. Gail, I've known this story for 15 years. It is absolutely beautiful. So Gail is going to tell you the story of the small potatoes. I'm going to tell it. I'm nervous. <laughs> Not first, but I'm going to tell it. Yeah, small potatoes. Um, recently, before Irene asked me to do this, I had two words that seems to tie in with this now. And that is heed and yield. Heed. And I looked it up. Whatever I take heed to becomes my focus. Yield. Give place to whatever I yield, sorry, whatever I yield to is what I gave place to in my life. So yield means gives, give place to, so whatever I yield to. So heed God's word and yield to God's word. So the scripture, I've got to write it down because otherwise my brain will go all over the place. Uh, Matthew 5, where am I? Right. I'll read it all, but there's one particular verse. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you or compels you, like the King James Version says, to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you. No, I won't read that. It's okay. If I was reading this before the small potatoes came into my life, and I was reading the scripture, and I thought, wow, it really struck me. If someone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. And you know sometimes when you sit and read scripture, and then my imagination took over, and I saw um, a soldier <coughs> forcing, a Roman soldier, forcing someone at the side of the road, and said, look, carry my, and he had the authority to do this, so carry my heavy bag and come down with me, I've got to go this way, you carry it, and off we go. So he had that authority, and the gentleman couldn't say anything else. 
so he went down the road and he carried his bag and then he came to the point and the authoritative Roman soldier said, right, okay, give me my bag back. I've got to carry on. I've done with you. And the man turned to him and said, no, no, it's okay. I'll carry it for you. I'll carry it for you till the end. And I was reading this and I thought, and I was thinking this and I thought, wow, he's just told this Roman soldier, actually, you have no authority over me. You have no authority. And I think at that point, I don't know what the Roman soldier felt, but I, I believe that he knew that because this man was willing to go the second mile, he'd lost his authority. So I was pondering this, and then I went to work. I was working as a kitchen assistant in an old people's home. And I went into work, and round the corner was the sink where I went in at half past seven in the morning, and all the veg that had been done before for that day was done, and the chef was taking care of that. And I had to go around, and I had to do the veg for the next day. So I did the veg, and then I did the potatoes, and it was summer. So in the summer, you get small potatoes you get new potatoes but in an old people's home because they might choke you have to peel them so i went into the bag to get out about enough potatoes for 60 odd people and they were all small and i thought oh my gosh i'm going to be here forever because it takes longer to peel each small potato so i thought oh right okay so i did it that day so another time I went in and I looked again in the bag and they were all small potatoes and I thought, well, hang on, now they can't, there might be one or two big ones. They can't all be small potatoes. Sometimes there must be some biggish ones in there. And I thought, I know what's happening here. I thought the two assistants that were on other days before me, they're taking out all the big potatoes and leaving me with the small ones. Well, I was standing at the sink and I was fuming. And uh, the more I peeled, the more I fumed. I thought, this isn't fair, this isn't just, what? Anyway, this happened again. And this time now I was really angry, so I thought, I'm going to tell the chef. So he didn't like confrontation, so I went round and I told him, this is what's happening, yeah, they're, they're taking all the big potatoes out, they're leaving me with all the small ones, it takes longer to, you know, blah de blah and he, oh, oh, right, 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 I'll have a word with them. And you know, as he said it, I thought he ain't going to have a word with them because he doesn't want to have confrontation with them. So it happened again. And I, there I was, fuming away, cleaning these small potatoes. And suddenly this scripture came to mind again. And I thought, Lord, what am I doing? Because you know when you fume and you, you get that agitating passion inside you, and it doesn't make you feel good. And it doesn't make anybody else feel good either around you because it's an atmosphere. And what I realised was these girls were compelling me to go a mile. They were forcing me to, to peel these small potatoes. And I thought, well, what's your way of dealing with this then, Lord? And I said, OK, Lord, I'll peel the small potatoes. I'll do it your way. I'll take this scripture and I'll work it out in my everyday working, walking about, doing life. And I thought, right, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that lesson. And I did it with joy. So then sometimes you come into work and in the cupboard, there's an unopened bag of potatoes. Joy, open the bag, 
Aha, now I can take out the big potatoes and leave the small ones. And God said, no, no. <laughs> you now go the extra mile. And he said, now you take out all the small potatoes and peel them as a blessing, an unknown blessing for these other two kitchen assistants. They didn't even know what I was doing. But you know the joy I felt at that moment and the peace and I was giggling to myself and the Lord because we knew what was happening. Nobody else knew it, but I knew what was happening and it changed me. And I think what that's why I put heed and yield. It's no good just reading scripture, what I've learnt over the years, and I don't always do it. But what I've learnt is you have to read scripture and then you have to ask the Holy Spirit to work it out in your everyday life. And, you know, it's just so important. And there's so much of the way God does life in here that we need to take hold of and we then receive the blessing. So, amen. Small potatoes. Can you see how devil attacks? Even in a bag of potatoes. Even in a bag of potatoes. What do we do? We take offence. Get angry. Shouldn't have done that to me. Look at the way they treated me. Look at the way they treated me. Because immediately our motivation is self-protection. Wow, I've got to protect myself in this. How dare they do these things to me? The result, I'll go and tell somebody. Gail said, I'll tell somebody. So now you've got friction. Now you've got friction. You're not a peacemaker anymore. I'm blessed are the peacemakers. You're not a peacemaker anymore. You're a rabble rouser. You're going to get people on side. You're going to be telling people what they're doing so somebody's reputation is trashed. Can you see how he works in every area? That's a tiny thing like peeling a potato. That's how we are able to fall at the first hurdle, even a cleaning a potato. Because it's the small, tiny skirmishes that he gets us at sometimes. I've, people go through horrific times and are marvellous in them because something in them kicks in. But in the tiny things, we will let ourselves down. We will fail. They didn't do it like I wanted them to do it. They didn't do it my way. They shouldn't treat me like this. And we stamp our feet in our tempers at people. And we talk and we gossip, and we tear down, and we wreck ourselves. We wreck ourselves, because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We have no joy, we have no peace, we're full of resentment, we're full of anger, and it, pet hate, Jesus gets angry too. Now I know we say it, and I hate it every time I hear it. Jesus got angry, at an institution that was meant to be a house of prayer. And I'd become a place where people just laundered money and fleeced the poor. He did not get angry at people when they said bad things about him or offended him or did anything. He was on the cross for pity's sake, beaten till he was almost dead. The, 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 the thing they'd used to whip him had torn flesh from his bones. He was down, he had been cut down to the bone with a whip. 
They had nailed him to a cross, not tied him like they did to others. He'd been nailed. And he didn't say, look at what they're doing to me. My father punished them. He says, forgive them, Lord. And we identify with him in his anger, but we need to identify with him in his grace and his love and his mercy towards us. Isn't that how we should treat people? But we let a skirmish, a little skirmish, set us so on edge that we set a big fire alight by it. Come on, come on. If we can do it over a small potato, we can do it over anything. And that's what Joshua's all about. And the result is, go to God and pray. He prays. He fasted. This answer didn't come in five minutes. It was, no, people tell you, I have prayed. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You might have said a few words, but you haven't prayed. This prayer took days for the answer to come. And then when the answer comes, it says, don't fight. Do the small potatoes. You just stand, because I'll fight for you. If you stand, do you want God to fight for you? Stop fighting for yourselves. Stop fighting to get your own way. Let's stop fighting to get our own ideas. He did. Heed what God says and yield to what he says. That's the, that's the only way the church should behave. We should hear God's word and we should walk it out in our lives. If you're not hearing from God, then you're only hearing from you. Am I right? You're hearing from you. So we live in this motivation, which is self-preservation. The moral thing, which is, well, now then, what does, what does it say about how I should behave in this? Usually it's right or wrong. God cuts through that. Right or wrong is what Gail did originally. Go and see somebody. That's what we say. I'm going to tell somebody about this. This has got to be sorted. But God say, no, walk the second mile. Walk the second mile. Compelled to do that, do it. Just be a servant. Just be a servant. doesn't matter what you do unless you, if you're doing it for God. You know? Don't count up the hours. No. Just stop looking at ourselves as if we were really are more important than we really are. I'm standing up here for half an hour. I'm not really that important. You know? But your walk with God is. What you do off the platform is very important, not what you do on the platform. You know? Let's start to see it God's way. Let's walk a second mile with each other. You really get on my nerves. You know, somebody said, I read this one. There were two people standing next to each other, and the man was so angry with this person who had said something that he lashed out. And there was a nun next to him, and he said, I don't know how you could remain so calm. And she said, you didn't see the seething inside. And the comment was, both are wrong. Both are wrong. You shouldn't be seething with people. We shouldn't be staying angry with people. We should be taking it to God and getting God's word into our lives. So that's what we walk out in our everyday life. That's what Jehoshaphat is about. Jehoshaphat's not about a battle. It, yeah, yes. But it's about our skirmishes. It's the way Satan wants to rob us of everything God wants to give us and eventually rob you of your purpose. He'll rob you of everything. He'll rob you till you've got nothing left. He'll terrify you so that you're despondent, despairing, dreading life. That's the Assyrian attack. And then he'll just use a skirmish to take you out of the game because you haven't learned to do the small potatoes in life. You know? So I thought this would be a light 
easy sermon. But there we go. I can't do them. I just can't do them, can I? But that's what I thought. But can you see how important it is to stand? To have that armour on you. Not so that you can fight people, but you can stand against the devil's wiles and say, I'm going to hear from God the indispensable weapon, the word of God, and I'm going to pray the other indispensable weapon. And then you walk it out in your everyday life. Result, joy, love, peace, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, <coughs> self-control, and I can't remember the other two. But can you see? The fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. You've been given everything you need. You've been given the riches of heaven to live with. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. Don't let Satan rob you of a single day in your walk with God. You just heed what God says. And as Gail said, yield to the Holy Spirit. Let him have his way in you. Amen. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.